Okay, today we're going to Revelation chapter 19, which is what we've been anticipating for some time. I thought maybe we should change one little song we just saw a little bit ago. When we all get to Revelation 19, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We've been waiting for this. I'll tell you what. It's a wonderful chapter. Beautiful things we're going to get to see together here. Let's start with a word of prayer. Would you join me, please? Heavenly Father, your grace is amazing. And it's beautiful in song, too. Thank you, Lord, for giving us such a priceless, precious gift that you should love us. As Claire just read, how unworthy we are of it. But as you would love us, even while we were yet sinners, your son should die for us. What a picture of grace that is. Even part of our service today is a communion service where we remember these things. And we do, as we look upon you at this time, you've given to us. So very much. We can certainly give our attention to you for a while as we study from your word. May it be beneficial in our hearts and in our lives, even right now, as we open it up. For you have given us all good things, and may this be good as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know... The chapters we've been going through were hard chapters. Especially the last two were very difficult chapters to work our way through. Most of this book is hard. We get all excited. Let's do the book of Revelation. But three quarters of it is bad news. And it's just the way it's set up. Uh, it's hard to visualize, too, at times, to to think of the things that we read here and to comprehend that... Uh, These are terrible events, and they will happen, just like Christ has said. That's hard. We know that. But they are true. And they are judgments. And that's what we've been looking at. And for the unbeliever, folks, of all that we read that they're going to experience in these chapters, that's not the worst for them. The worst thing that they will face is when they stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, and then they get ushered into the lake of fire to be punished forever. Can you fathom that? Wow. None of this is a fairy tale, just so you know. What we've been studying is, is, is reality. And the reality of these things ought to do something to us, the church. The book of Revelation was given to the church, for the church to know that these things are coming. And though they're not, from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 18, they're not about us, we still need to know that. And I think there are several things that ought to do for us. Now, I've made mention of this over the last few weeks, but I'll emphasize it. By reading this book, it ought to emphasize to us, impress us with the fact that our God is holy. 
We have a holy God. It ought to relieve us that we are his children. What a blessing that is, that we are his children. And it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, We're waiting for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Love that verse. Again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, Isn't that great news? I love it. But for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to relieve us to be called his children. It ought to propel us to godly living. If nothing else, as Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. We have something we ought to be doing. That's living godly in the present age. It ought to remind us that God keeps his promises. Just the very fact that this has not started yet is because our God keeps his promises. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Every single day it's put off. We may say, but Lord, we've waited. We've been waiting. You know, a lot of people have been waiting. But the Lord's patient. He wants one more to come and know him. One more to be included in the family. That's patience. That ought to remind us of this. And it ought to convince us that we are to be quick to proclaim the gospel to a world that's doomed to wrath. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race. You are a priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I love that verse. You have something, folks, and this world needs it. This world needs it. This ought to motivate us to go and reach them. See, I started with application, didn't I? We started with the application. We haven't even had the sermon yet. I'm so excited about what I have to share with you that I said I better hit them with the application first. There are some reasons that the Lord wants us to see this book. And I just gave you a few of them. There's probably a whole lot more that we could add to it. But this, chapter 19, is good news. It's good news. We started with good news, and there's difficult verses in the midst of it. But you've gone through 15 difficult chapters. Do you know that? 15 of them. Under the umbrella of that thing we call the tribulation. And folks, that is the only tribulation you're going to ever endure. Is 15 sermons from those chapters. Just reading about it is tribulation. But you won't be here for the actual event. Now, we set up this morning, uh, chronologically of sorts. We marked the rapture of the church. 
somewhere at the end of chapter 3, before chapter 4 begins, if you want to set it up in your mind this way, we have not seen the church for chapter 4 through 18. We have not seen the church, and I've been very careful to show that to you so that you can understand. You get to chapter 19, and the church is back in the topic. After the rapture, the church goes to be with the Lord in heaven. That's a promise he made, and a promise he'll keep. What has the church been doing for all those seven years? We'll see it this morning. You ready? This is fun. Chapter 19, verse 1. After these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, because his judgment are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And the second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sits on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like a voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Right. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Stop. That's all we can handle at once. Right? It's like too much icing on the birthday cake. You can't have more pieces than you need. We've got to break this in half. I hate to do this, but if we spent all those weeks on the tribulation, let's spend at least two weeks on this rejoicing side, right? We're going to stop with verse 10 today because there is so much to unpack from these verses. Here's the two main components of what you just read. Listen to, heard me read. Heaven's response to the destruction of Babylon that was referenced in chapter 17 and 18, and heaven gets to say the final thing. Verses 1 through 5. The second half, 6 through 10, is a glimpse of the bride of Christ. A glimpse of the bride of Christ. I want to call this chapter Good News for the Church. I like that title. What we actually are seeing here, folks, and Maybe you sensed it as you heard it. An eruption of praise in heaven. A heavenly praise service. Kind of like waiting to sing out loud. Have you felt the tension lately? 
Last week I was doing this, and I could have done it this week too, but last week I was doing this. I was, I was listening while the songs were playing up here on the screen. There's this murmur going all around the church. And I thought at one point, if Evan had turned off the sound, we wouldn't have noticed. Because there were voices singing, softly, but singing. You can hear it in the background. And, and it's almost like it was ready just to burst if it was given the chance. This chapter is that burst. I want to show you something. Four times the same word popped up in this text. Hallelujah! Right? Great word. You say, well, what, what exactly does it mean? Well, if you learn the little song, you know what it means. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That's its definition. That's the definition of the word. Praise ye the Lord. It's a Hebrew word. Now you know Hebrew. Sort of. But you, that is a Hebrew word. Praise ye the Lord. That's what it means. If you have the King James, you're reading it and saying, well, mine says, Alleluia. But that's the same thing. That's the same word. It's just a different way that the English people translated it. And some put the H and some didn't put the H, and it was similar concepts. But here comes trivia time. You ready? If you take, all right, I'm going to give you some options here. Take the entire book of Psalms. Let's see, another good book. A song, pick Nehemiah. Nehemiah's great book. Take Psalms and Nehemiah, just those two books. Let's talk about the number of times Hallelujah appears. Would you think more than 50 times? More than 100? More than 242 times? Would you think less than 242 times? Less than a hundred times? Would you believe four times in all of Scripture, and you read it all in this chapter? That stunned me when I saw that. I said, you've got to be kidding me. Really? In other words, it's a unique word. Saved for a unique moment. What is this word? Hallelujah. We're so used to saying it, we thought it was all over the page. There's certainly Psalms ought to be full of it. In the English translations, it's not there. Only in Revelation. Four times. Chapter 19. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's an exclamation waiting for a particular moment. You know, you're supposed to save the grand finale of the fireworks to the end, right? This is the concept, I think, when I see this. Because here is this word in heaven. And it is bursting to be shouted out. Matter of fact, here's what's interesting about the word hallelujah. It is a command. It's not so much a statement as it is a command. It's a command, an imperative, as if one voice is calling out to another verse, voice, saying, Praise the Lord! And then the other voice calls, you, you, praise the Lord. And then somebody else yells to a crowd, praise the Lord. That's the nature of the word. And it's contagious. Once somebody starts this in heaven, it's not going to stop. They keep shouting out, praise the Lord, 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you can see how it's increasing in volume. Verse number one says, it came with a loud voice of a great multitude. By the time you get to verse number six, it seems to be louder still. Like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of a mighty peals of thunder. It's growing. Back in the late 70s and early 80s, I used to go, living up near Chicago, we'd go to the Chicago Bulls basketball games. And, and uh, they weren't much to look at. Tickets were cheap. Seats were easy to get. <laughs> Matter of fact, you can move anywhere you wanted after you got inside the door. Even after Michael Jordan started playing for them, we'd just go there and see if, can he score 60 today? And that's, that was the big thrill of the night because usually they didn't win. Matter of fact, we weren't used to them winning and neither were the team used to that. They had a giant scoreboard hanging in the middle of the, the uh, stadium where we were at, an old stadium, not there anymore, but the scoreboard would be there and they'd have this meter on it. And the meter was to get the crowd to yell loud enough to move the meter all the way to the end. And I know a lot of places do that now, but back then it was a novel thing. And we said, wow, this is pretty cool. So we yell as loud as we could and never could we get it high enough because there wasn't enough of us there to do it. But I thought, well, what an interesting thing to, to if you've got to find a reason for these people to root for something, Put it on there and put a meter and see if they yell loud enough because the team wasn't helping. Do you realize that all of the hallelujahs are meant not to cover up inactivity? They're not giving us some sort of cheerleader cry to overcome a mediocre showing. It's not there to create some imitation excitement, kind of like fan noise being pumped into a stadium. What you see is a response, a response in heaven to what they have witnessed in the last two chapters where God's wrath is poured out on that thing called Babylon and it is destroyed. I want to remind you of something. Verse number two says it. Babylon had corrupted the whole earth during the tribulation period. Babylon shed the blood of our brothers and sisters in the faith. God has avenged her for the blood in his judgments. Look at the choice of words that are given here in verse number one. And they're not just randomly thrown out there because they're wild and praising and just picking big words. But it starts with the word salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belongs to our God. These are wonderful choice words to be stated at that time. For many times when we think of salvation, we think of our salvation from sin. We think that's absolutely wonderful. And it is, isn't it? Yes? Okay, good. I thought you'd think so. But salvation is so much bigger than that, too. It's, yeah, this is what we know. But for so many, it speaks of a deliverance, both spiritually and physically. A deliverance. The Lord acts on our behalf. 
I do think that the loudest group in this picture of verse number one are going to be the tribulational saints. Because they had seen what Babylon could do. They lived through it. They're going to be ready to shout, folks. They're going to be ready to shout. I think we're going to shout because we get to see the Lord. I'm excited about that day. I couldn't help but, as that song was playing, when we all get to heaven and we get to see Jesus, and how exciting that's going to be when we're all there. We get to shout, sing and shout the victory. I want to stand next to Drew. I want to see Drew up there. Man, is that going to be exciting. They're shouting out, Salvation! Chapter 18, verse number 20, previous chapter. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Powerful, powerful phrase. Now, I'd love to spend a lot of time on each of these words. We've got to keep moving a little bit here. Also, the word glory. Glory. Now, we use that word an awful lot, too. We think sometimes of something bright and shiny and orange, maybe. The word doxa is a Greek word for glory. It speaks primarily of one's reputation. Did you know that? Speaks of a reputation. We use the word honor and such like that. But here, they're acknowledging something about God. They're acknowledging his character. They're acknowledging his actions in keeping with who he is. They talk about his honor. You know, honor, we know down here, is something hard to earn. And it's something hard to keep. And it doesn't take much to mess that up, does it? But consider God's track record. From eternity past to eternity forever, he deserves the glory, folks. He always has. He always will. Glory is a great word here. Because you're talking about a God you have come to honor. It's the right word. They shouted out, glory and power. Dunamis. Dunamis. You've heard that word before. It's a power that accomplishes things. It's a, well, some translations put a miraculous power, if you will. Doing things that only God can do. Up to this point, I am sure that the world and the saints who were living during the tribulation period thought that maybe Babylon might be a pretty good rival for God. They had watched Babylon in action. Babylon's power over the whole world is significant. Babylon had kings bowing down to it, believers being crushed by it. And when it seemed invincible... God showed his power. God showed his power. So they yell, Power! Power! Along with these words, they keep shouting things out. Verse number two, they say that God's judgments are true. God's judgments are righteous. He is judged. He is avenged. No wonder heaven erupts in praise. They've been waiting for this moment. I told you last week, they've been waiting for it since the day Cain slew Abel. 
His blood's been calling out for vengeance. The day's coming, folks. And when it happens, it says the 24 elders are going to join in. It says the poor living creatures are going to join in. We still don't quite know what to think of those guys, do we? But they're there. And they have a habit of falling down a lot. Because they want to worship the Lord. And it says right there that they're going to do that. They're going to fall before the Lord and they're going to worship Him. And an invitation is given to join in. Verse number 5, And a loud voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, the small and the great. Do you fit in there somewhere? Join them. How exciting! Join them! Boy, I can't wait. You know, you will be there. As a believer in Christ, you will be there. You will witness these things. I would suggest practicing a little bit on the hallelujah thing. You're going to need it when you get there. Because that's what it's being saved for. That day, when we declare praise to our God. That day. That's the first glimpse we get when we enter chapter 19. The second glimpse is a picture of the bride of Christ. Isn't that the exciting part of a wedding? Everyone's waiting to see the bride appear. That's so exciting. So exciting. You're going to get a glimpse right now. It's such a beautiful thing. Now the, quiet, the, the crowd isn't quiet yet. As you see in verse number 6, I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters, the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Now watch these words. These are great. Let us rejoice. Now, I like playing with Greek. This is, a, this is the idea of let us keep on rejoicing. No end. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep going. It's continuous in nature. Let us keep on rejoicing. Now, we could say, well, that's going to be fun. Don't turn down the volume. Keep it going, right? But here's the other part. And I love this. And be glad. Let's keep on being glad. Say, so, well, that doesn't sound quite as exciting as being rejoicing. Until you know the word. To be glad means to jump for joy. Jump for joy. A little aerobics mixed in with this whole thing. Jump for joy. You know where you find that verse, that same phrase, jump for joy, in the scriptures? When they came out from the king, they looked up and they saw a star and they rejoiced exceedingly. You know who they were? Yeah, the wise men or the three kings, whatever you want to call them. We rarely put it in our flannel graph that they were jumping for joy. But that's the same word. It's more than just saying, boy, am I happy. You've seen children like this when they're jumping for joy. 
I think it's fascinating. Heaven is calling, don't stop jumping for joy. That's going to be an active little place. A lot happening up there. What an exciting thing. Let us keep on rejoicing. Let us keep on jumping for joy. And let us give Him glory. There it is again. Let us give Him glory. Let's speak of His reputation. Give Him what He's due. What else, if all else is put on the table, what else is there to give thanks for? The bride appears. The bride appears. Let me say something real simple. This is a miracle in the making. This is a miracle in the making. When you read in verse 7, For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. We could start with the identity. We've seen this phrase before in the New Testament, and it's in reference to the saints, and we find in Ephesians 5 that the church is the bride of Christ. Go with me there for a minute. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me start in verse number 12. No, 22. Let us start in verse 22. Watch the words. They're fascinating. We usually use this in those marriage seminar things. You'll probably get it in a few weeks. If you go to the marriage seminar, you'll probably hear this passage too. This is what we're supposed to do, right? Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Now, I said that in a very mundane voice on purpose, because as Christ also is the head of the church. They're comparing the husband and the wife to something that already exists. That is Christ and his church. We're not saying, okay, Christ in this church is like a marriage. They're saying your marriage is like Christ in the church. You see the difference? Because one is reality and the other one needs practice. And I'm sure it's not Christ needs practice. This is teaching us to match something that is already perfect. Christ is the head of the church. He himself is the savior of the body. As the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husband and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as, here it comes, Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. It's almost like the husband and wife thing was lost in the dust here because Paul started talking about Christ and his church. He says, that's what I want to talk about. Then he comes back to it in verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but... Now he goes back to his other picture. Nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and his church. If you put the emphasis in the right place, you see the big picture, don't you? He's talking about the love of Christ for his bride, the church. And here's what's really great. I told you this is a miracle in the works. The church will be perfect. Isn't that astounding? You say, really? Yeah. It will be perfect. She is going to be presented before him. And how is it described? Go back to verse number 27. Present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Can God do that? That's a miracle. Only God can do it. But he's going to. Isn't that exciting? Oh, I think so. I think so. The church will stand there before the Lord. Perfect. Finished. Wow. Wow. That comes after the rapture. After the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, both tells us, basically, we're going to be changed. At the time the Lord comes for us, we will be changed. Isn't that right? In a moment, twinkling of our eye, all those things. We're going to be changed. Some of us, a lot more than others, maybe. But we'll be changed. All of us will come out the same. We'll be like Him. We'll be like Him, it says. 1 John 3, love that passage. When he appears, we shall be like him. How exciting. Jude 24, that verse 24 says that God is able to make us stand in his presence blameless and with great joy. Ephesians 5 says that we will, he will present to himself the church in all her glory. Now, I don't know what else brings rejoicing, but... They're not quiet when this happens. When the church is presented here in chapter 19 as the bride of Christ, heaven erupts in praise. They're waiting for this day, folks. They're waiting for this day. The wedding day that comes to the church. According to verse number 7, back in Revelation chapter 19, according to verse number 7, and the specific words that are used here it says for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready those are two interesting verb forms in the greek they're both in the aorist tense and what that simply says is it's already done when you get to chapter 19 it's already done We're not waiting for something to happen, to be finished. It's already done. What do you think happens when the church is raptured up into heaven? We're changed, right? We're changed. And we're like him, and we see him, and that's great. But somewhere during those seven years, we go through our award ceremony. Did you know that? The believers, we use the word judgment. I don't like the word judgment so much. 
because it's more an award ceremony. And the marriage takes place because here, in this chapter, right at the end of the tribulation period, it's like, it's done. It's done. So you wonder, what are we going to be doing up there? Are we going to be bored? I don't think so. Are we going to be rejoicing? Yes, but what else? There's a lot of things going to be accomplished in seven years. I want to talk to you just for a minute about the fact that it's a believer's award ceremony that takes place. Verse number 8 said this. It was given to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. You know what that means? They have been evaluated already, and she's wearing it. She's wearing the gown that represents the things that we do here on this earth right now. Did you know that? As believers, let me, let me emphasize something here so you get the idea. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about the fact that all of our works are going to become evident, for the day will show it. This is 1 Corinthians 3, 13, 14, 15. Because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if a man's work which he has built upon remains, he receives a reward. And if a man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. This is not judgment for sin. It is not a judgment for sin. It's a judgment on our works. Our works. They're going to have to be tested and see if they pass a certain test. And you say, well, how do I know what the test might be? I'll give you what I think. Just summary. Someday we'll dig through it and we'll work it through. I believe that a work that passes the test of this fire will be done by the strength of the Lord, not by ours. It will be done by the will of the Lord, not by ours. It will be done for the glory of the Lord and not for ours. Anytime, and how easy it is for us to do things by our own strength, by our own plans, <laughs> for our own glory. I don't think those are going to last, no matter how great they might be down here on earth. They go before the test, and they didn't bring him glory. They brought you glory. I think they burn. Does that mean you're not going to get into heaven? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means you're going to stand there for a minute and realize you spent your whole life on something that didn't add to the wedding garment. You know what? It never says that the tears will be dried from our eyes until there's a new heaven and new earth. Think about it for a minute. Do you think we're going to regret, maybe, that we didn't contribute more to that gown? I wonder. I wonder. But the things that are precious to him are the things that are going to last. And I, I just ask you to evaluate, how are you serving him? How are you working right now to contribute to that wedding gown? For the bride will wear it. She will wear it. The church will wear the things that honored the Lord. For us folks, time is running out to do this work. This is where it's done, down here. Time is short. Now, it's also short up there, too. I hate that. Can't get rid of that clock, can we? There's so much more. Oh, there's so much more here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump. There's a, a 
more we could talk about. I'll throw that in next week. But let me remind you, before we start our communion service, these things ought to impress us, the holiness of our God. These things ought to relieve us that we are his children. These things ought to propel us to godly living. These things ought to remind us that God keeps his promise. These things ought to convince us that we are to be quick to proclaim the gospel to a world doomed to wrath. It's all good news for you. It's all good news for you. Do you want it good news for other people too? That's what the gospel is called, by the way, in the Greek. Good news. We've got it. Let's share it. Heavenly Father, this passage before us is fascinating and wonderful. We long for this day. There's so much more to learn about it. And yet we can't wait to see it. Until then, we're here on this earth to carry on what you've called us to do and to remember what you have done for us. As we partake again of our communion service, we take the bread and we take the cup and we remember what Jesus has done for us. And I pray that we're thankful. I pray that on the inside we're jumping for joy. Rejoicing, because what a great Savior, what a great thing he's done. Lord, we give you the praise for this, and we look forward to the day when we see you face to face. We ask all these things right now in Jesus' name. Amen.